0: I was born to walk through the fire, I was made to run through these
1: flames, yeah, even when I broke Thanks for listening to one of the audio messages from Cornerstone Church Airdrie. My name is Brad and I'm the lead campus pastor and primary preaching voice here at Cornerstone Church Airdrie. Oh. We believe that the God who spoke so clearly all through the pages of Scripture is still speaking to His kids today. So if it's me who's speaking to you or someone else on this recording, as you listen, we pray that you would know God, know His hope, know His purpose, and know His power. Enjoy the message. Yeah, 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 you're hopeless, give Him your tears. And I remember going through the same thing. You can turn in your Bibles, your apps, whatever it is that you're using to follow along to Psalm chapter 22. And so what we're going to, to do today is we're going to, or this, this week, we, we've started a new sermon series, I guess, last week, based on looking at our emotions and in times of struggle, our, our emotional response, and beginning by recognizing a couple of things about our emotions. Um, first, God gave us our emotions. They're not bad things to have. They, in and of themselves, they're not sinful. They're not wrong, dirty, or bad. God made you, and God gave you, them so so they're not bad but how we handle our emotions can be bad we need to not live in bottling them up but on the flip side of that is that we need to not live in a place where we're simply ruled by our emotions containing our emotions too much bad letting them out too much bad So we need to find a God-honoring, life-giving, moving forward kind of way to move through our emotions and allow God to take us from whatever emotion we find ourselves dealing with in a time of trouble into a place where he can and will heal us and, and give us a new perspective. You see, God's not scared of our emotions, and God doesn't want us to somehow try and keep them from him, but rather God wants us to bring him our emotions so that he can work through us and in us to bring us to the other side of whatever it is that we are dealing with and to help us see how God wants to do this, to to help us see how God wants us to work through our emotions. we're, We're looking to the book of Psalms and what they have to show us about praying through our emotions with God. And last week, we, we, we watched David pray through the emotion of fear, pray through the emotion of anxiety, pray through this, this stressful, difficult moment found in, in Psalm chapter 3. Now, today we're going to explore Psalm 22, and we're going to explore what it means to pray through pain and grief and suffering, Pay, pray through this emotionally raw, difficult moment in our lives. If you have been a Christian for any amount of time, one of the great challenges that we have to deal with is this seeming great contradiction that our faith seems to pose. And the greatness in this challenge is that it's because it's not just a theological issue. It's not some just couple verses that we have to wrestle with to understand. But the challenge in this great seeming contradictory or contradiction is that it's a deeply personal issue. At the contradiction, or the, the contradiction is that we as Christians, we believe, we say, we sing, that God is good. And that God is real. And that he's present in our lives. And even when we don't see it, he's working. And he's present in our situations. And that he's all-knowing and all-powerful. And that he loves the world and everyone in it. And we hold that firmly right here in our hearts. And we can point to the life of Jesus and the, the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus. And see everything that we know to be true about God. And yet... We read the newspapers. Okay, well, maybe you don't read newspapers anymore. I don't know how many people actually do that. But we read news articles on the internet. We, we read our news apps. We watch the news. And you see the tragedy and the horror that is our world right now. And not just now, but all of human history is is beyond COVID-19 and all of the things that that's posing. Nova Scotia is dealing with huge difficult issues. And all over the world and all throughout history, people have had to wrestle with these times and these, these understandings of life. Now, if you haven't yet been at this point in your life, I, I have a very sad promise for you. But you will, at some point, have to reconcile these two things that we know to be true. One about God and one about life. And this is the great contradiction that we seemingly face. And for many people, when these times of hardship and struggle between these two parts of their story, that they don't know how to make the first part, that God is good, meet up with the part that says, but the world is terrible. And this contradiction, and, and it can change their relationship with God. They, they can question and doubt God's goodness. They can change their view of God, or, or they can let it go altogether because where was God in my pain and suffering? And this is what David is wrestling with in Psalm chapter 22. He knows who God is, and he knows what's going on in his life, and he's struggling to try and reconcile these two things. Psalm, psalm 22 is a psalm of lament and protest. It's not a, a denial of, of how we feel, that, that, that David feels abandoned by God. But at the same time, we don't just sell the farm and, doubt the, and ditch the whole thing. You pray through it. And that's what we're learning how to do in these psalms, to pray through it. And so before we we dive into Psalm 22, and we're about to start that in just one second, I just want to make one big picture observation about it, and then we'll dive in. When we're faced with times of difficulty, of struggle, of tragedy, our prayers usually take on a certain style. We go into request mode. God, would you provide a solution? Would you send some relief? Would you provide this resource or this thing to get me through it? But what's interesting about the Psalms, like this one, the Psalms of Lament, is that while there are requests here, there are a really small portion of the Psalm, and the rest of the Psalm looks vastly different than how you or I may ever dream of praying. So let's look at Psalm 22, verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Is that a request? (laughs) No, it's a question, and a very pointed question. It is certainly not a request. Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out to you by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. Again, this, this is not a request, this is a statement, and again, an extremely pointed statement. David laments and he protests where he found himself, but it's not angry and it's not from a distance. Remember, when as we read through these next coming verses, who does David begin by speaking to? David still calls God, my God. Biblical lament and protest still must come out of a place of relationship with God. David doesn't Push God away, but David still assumes that God is his God and that he cares for him. Verse 3 Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. In, In you our ancestors put their trust. They trusted you and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. Again, we're at verse 5. Still not a single request. Perhaps maybe a little snark about who God is and what God used to be and what he used to do as compared to what is happening right now for David. There have been times in the past, God, when people cried out to you and you totally responded. David isn't doing self talk here. He is reminding God, why aren't you doing that same kind of thing right now? And and this is a legitimate question for David. Verse 6 But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. Again, this is not a request, a sad self description, but not a request. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. David continues to paint this picture of what life is like. The place that he's found himself in. He says, God, this is what you did for everyone who came before me. But this is not, that's not my story. God, this is my story. And he just keeps praying right through it. He continues to pour it all out before God. He doesn't stuff it in and he doesn't let it take over, but he pours everything out that he's feeling towards God. And then he continues to move even deeper. Verse 9, "'Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From, first, or from birth I was cast on you. From my mother's womb you have been my God.'" He says, God, you started this. This was your idea. You gave me life and I have been committed to you from the very beginning. And now here we are. The sum total of my life is this. Verse 10, still no requests. But he's painting this picture of the struggle of his life. And he just continues to paint this bleak picture. Do not be far from me. For trouble is near and there is no one to help. God, you've cared about me from the very beginning of my life. But now, God, where are you? Where are you? Verse 12, he says, Many bulls surround me. Strong bulls of Bashan encircle me. Roaring lions tear their prey open, or tear, tear, tear their prey open their mouths wide against me. Now, we assume in the writing of this that this isn't literal. But when he talks about these animals, when he talks about the bulls of Bashan and roaring lions, essentially these are the most chaotic, out-of-control animals that he can think of. And he's just painting this picture of chaos and life being out of control and dangerous. Verse 14, I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint, falling to pieces. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted before me. My mouth is dried up like a pot or a pot shred and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth you lay me in the dust of death dogs surround me a pack of villains encircle me they pierce my heart and my feet all my bones are on display people stare and gloat over me they divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment I hope hope that you can see this We're now at verse 18 into this 31 verse long psalm and it's not about requests at all so far. It's an anguished, detailed description of what is happening to David and how he feels about it and how he sees God In all of this, he's painting this picture of this moment in his life and pouring out his heart before God. And then we move on to verse 19, and the requests do start to come, but it's a small part of the psalm. It's just three verses. Verse 19, he says, But you, Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouths of lions. Save me from the horns of the wild one. Now, I want to stop here for a moment. I know that there's about 10 more verses and we'll get to those. But I want to stop here for a moment because I want to talk about something. When we go through hardship and struggle, and suffering in our lives, we can almost live in this place where we know objectively that God knows what's going on. And he already knows how I feel. And so what my prayer needs to be is to tell God exactly what he's supposed to do about it. But in in this psalm, we see David doing the opposite of that. Precisely the opposite the place that this prayer comes from is that god knows exactly what to do david says deliver me save me rescue me god doesn't need help knowing what to do but the vast majority of this psalm is or this prayer is taken up with what's happening to me and how i feel about it and how it's causing me to see god in all of this it's the total opposite of often what we will pray. But this is the nature of biblical lament and protest. We can go into request mode, thinking what we need to do is make sure that God knows what he needs to do about it. And he already knows what's happening, and he already knows how I feel. But in the Psalms, and in this Psalm, we're looking at today, just the opposite takes place. And instead, they decide, I'm going to take a minute, God, and I'm going to tell you how I feel in all of this messiness, about where I find myself right now, processing everything that I'm going through and how it is making me feel. Eighteen verses detailing what is happening and how I feel about it. Three short verses asking God to do something about it, of requests. But so often when we pray, we deal with Things, times, places, and seasons like what David is going through and we become so solutions heavy and we don't talk to God about how we're feeling. Be it because we think God just doesn't want to hear it. Or be it because we are embarrassed that we should feel that way. That maybe we think somehow this, that we should be a stronger Christian. That, that we don't, we shouldn't feel this way. I should be strong and resolute to not ever have these kind of feelings or else it makes me a bad Christian. Or maybe we take it even further and think that it's actually sin to feel like this. That if I would speak to God like this, open and raw and honest, that somehow I'm elevating myself to God. Or that I'm pulling God down to me, not being respectful or properly honoring. And as a result, I'm sinning. So I just won't say anything. And I'm just going to tell God what I'd like to see him do. When apparently, what God is really looking for from us is that we are open and raw and honest with him. What I'm feeling and what I'm processing. You see, this psalm is so instructive for us. And to be honest, I don't know how to do this very well. And I'm guessing that most of you don't know how to do this well either. And in fact, as we've unpacked this psalm, My guess is that many of us probably feel uneasy and uncomfortable with the idea of talking to God like this. That that there may even have been some people who stopped watching online because this made them feel uneasy. But here is the truth. When we go through times of struggle, of tragedy, of hardship, of extreme difficulty, stuff happens inside of us that we just don't get. Things get misaligned and get distorted within us that we don't even know how to name. And it seems to me in passages like this that the biblical culture of prayer and lament that this is God's way of inviting us to protest. Friends, this is biblical. We are in fact reading it from the Bible. And so then we have this amazing miracle that happens in passages like this in in Scripture where a man's words to God become God's words to us about how to speak to God about our suffering. He is inviting us to do this, to name what's wrong, to draw attention to it and to hold this contradiction together in faith and to say, I don't know how this in in this instance, God's goodness and care connects with suffering and tragedy that I am experiencing right now. And and it's really messing me up inside and, and I just need to talk about it. This is what biblical lament looks like. It's not just an angry, wallowing prayer. It's being honest and pouring our hearts out before God. There are are 50 other prayers. There are 50 other psalms like this that invite us to do just this. But then we see something very important here. Because right after verse 21, David prays his last request. And from this point, it turns from this lament. It turns into praise. Verse 22, I will declare your, or yeah, verse 22, I will declare your name to my people in the assembly. I will praise you. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Wait, what just happened? I thought he was in this terrible dark place. He was one word ago. What's taken place is David has composed parts of this prayer and these are words that he said to God, the first part are words that he said to God in his time of grief and anger and confusion and pain. But along the way, as David pours his heart out before God, God begins to heal his heart and he experiences deliverance. And so we see not just a man trying to make good with God. David's not somehow trying to walk back all of the things he said for saying all kinds of mean things about him. But we see what we all hope for, what we long for when we come to God with our hurt that God heals his hurt. And so he says, I'm going to go to the people and I'm going to declare your praise because of what you have done for me. And this is what I'm going to say. Verse 23, you who fear the Lord, praise him. All, your descend- or all you descendants of Jacob, honor him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel. For he has not despised this, or, or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but he has listened to his cry for help. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you, I will fulfill my vows. The poor will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. Now this is something that we need to understand Now, this is something that we need to understand, that that we need to, about lament and pain and suffering from this passage, is that this is a crucial part of this protest. This is a part of lament and prayer. Is when you find an answer, when there is resolution and you discover God's grace and mercy, and there is healing and, and whatever that looks like, you don't just internalize that. You celebrate it. You testify to it. You let people know about it. And and this is something else that we don't really do all that well. We don't really have a name for what this is or a category for what, what this is. And I don't know how many of us have a practice in our prayer life where we invite other people in to celebrate moments of deliverance and answered prayer and coming through on the other side of something. And part of why this is hard for us is because this assumes that we've already invited people into our struggle and that they're going to want to celebrate with us, that we've invited people into our journey of grief and pain. This, this was obviously a deeply personal prayer for David, but he has invited others into his prayer so that they can celebrate with him on the other side. They shared in his grief, and now they can share in his joy. joy. And, And this is why community is so important and so crucial. Why we need to be a family with each other. Because when we invite people into our lives like this, two things happen. First, we don't take on all of this on our own. We don't suffer in isolation, and then suffer the effects of isolation as we're suffering from the thing that we're put ourselves in isolation for and then we don't have anyone to celebrate with us on the other side as well but those who walked with us will also celebrate with us we mourn with those who mourn because we've been invited to mourn with them and then we get to celebrate with those who celebrate because we've mourned with them and now we celebrate And second, as we invite people into our our time of mourning, our time of lament, our pain and our suffering, we discover that we're not the only ones going through a version of what we're going through. I am not the only one struggling with this, and I am not the only one praying prayer like this. And then David ends his prayer. Verse 27. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, he has done it. Now this can become the part of the prayer where in Psalm 22, it start, seems to become really Bible-y and seems that it can lose our connection maybe a little bit with what's happening here because this moves away from us personally and we think, okay, But does any of this have anything to do with what we've been talking about? But here's what's going on here. And this, I think, is really important for us to understand. It's as if David thinks of his own story, and the tragedy of his life, as and as he laments for his life, his circumstances, and everything, and he calls out to God, and he prays through these emotions and his feelings. It's as if David realizes, as, as he goes, and at some point, he meets the answer to these prayers, and as he's invited other people in together, and they share in the celebration of what God has done, that God's mercy and grace that he gets to ex- experience, here, it's almost like David sees this story and everything that he's gone through as just a small little example of the story that David is telling in the whole, or that God is telling in the world. As he meets the evil and the suffering and the brokenness of our world with his mercy and salvation in people's lives. It's as if for David, this story reminds him of the big story that God is setting, or God, God story that God is telling, set on redeeming and rescuing the whole world. And so he says, or he ends his prayer by saying, This thing that I've experienced, being able to pray through my sufferings and being able to praise God on the other side, all of creation is headed for this kind of experience. This praise on the other side of suffering. All nations will come to worship because he is the king of the earth. From the rich all the way to those who are going to the dust. This is an image of death. Those who have everything to those who have nothing. All are invited into this experience this opportunity to have God heal them and heal their suffering and pain and come through it to the other side where they're just bursting with praise. But to close, I want to go back to the very first line of this poem for one moment, the very first line of this psalm. Because undoubtedly, if you have served God for a while and as we just walked through Easter, you may... Be familiar with this line from the poem. is something that Jesus said as he hung on the cross dying. And in fact, when you read through the story of Jesus' crucifixion from all four Gospels, you will discover over 20 connections between that story and this psalm about the mocking and the insults that the people yelled at Jesus, the piercing of his hands and feet, the gambling over his clothes. They are all very similar to the language used here in Psalm 22. Perhaps as we read through that, you were even noticing that. But I think the most poignant moment is that Jesus took the very words of this psalm and spoke verse 1 on the cross when he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we can just look at this stuff and think, whoa, that's cool. Unity of Old Testament New Testament and prophecy and stuff. But Psalm 22 isn't predicting anything. It's not prophetic language that's used. It's not prophecy. It's a prayer of lament. And so what we see when Jesus speaks these words on the cross is that Jesus is taking up the sufferings of his ancestor David but also the sufferings of all people that have prayed this kind of prayer. It's as if he's self-identifying with the suffering of humanity. The great paradox of Jesus saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Is that God becomes God forsaken. And he doesn't just sympathize with human suffering. He actually takes it on, experiences it, and self-identifies with it by entering into it. And so what this does is it creates a space for you and I, as Christians, to pray the first half of this prayer with an anchor to hold on to in that Jesus also prayed this prayer. You see, this, this was David's prayer. This was Jesus' prayer. And it's meant to be our prayer as well. As we look in faith to the fulfillment of God's promises and we point to the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus as the one who ultimately delivered us out of the suffering and death that you and I are in the thick of, that Jesus also got to pray the second half of this prayer. That he began with the first half and three days later he lived out the second half. And friends, for you, for me, as we enter into seasons of life where we enter into the first half of this prayer, we look to Jesus on the cross praying the first half of this prayer and we're filled with hope because Jesus prayed this prayer and Jesus was seen through to the other side and that is a promise to you and I as we deal with times of pain and suffering and lament, the promise that God makes is that he will not just leave us there. Jesus wasn't left on the cross. David wasn't left at verse 18. But David carried through to verse 31 and Jesus carried through to Easter morning. And together we will see that sunrise and we will see the new day dawn and we will discover the answer, the healing that comes from our prayer.
0: When my mind is like a battlefield my heart is overcome by fear, and hope seems like a ship that's lost its
1: Thanks again for listening to one of the audio messages from Cornerstone Church Airdrie. My I pray that you were blessed by what God had to say in this message. If you would like to connect further with Cornerstone Church, there are a couple places you can go. First is our website, cornerstonefoursquarechurch.com, and select the Airdrie campus. And some of the best ways to connect with us is through our social media channels. You can like us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Cornerstone Follow us on Twitter at CS Erdry and on Instagram at Cornerstone Erdry. If you'd like to connect with the pastoral team at Cornerstone, you can do that again through our website, CornerstoneFoursquareChurch.com. Click on the Airdrie campus, then click on the About Us on the main menu, and then one last click on Our Campus Pastors. You can also subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and get new messages delivered directly to you. We are so thankful to be able to share the gospel message of Jesus Christ with our community in Airdrie and with you today. At Cornerstone Church Airdrie, we are a family not by blood, but a family that's been bought by blood. And that family includes you. We follow Jesus together as family we go.